Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 146 of the Rebel Author Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Monica Leonel all about how to go wide and grow your book sales on all the other platforms other than Amazon. It's a topic that I've covered before, but I'm deeply passionate about being wide. In fact, I'm not against being in KU. It's definitely something that I've experimented with. It will be something that I experiment with again at some point in the future. Um, I think, you know, dabbling in all of the methods and finding the thing that works for you is most important. Uh, But I also know that being wide does help to support the ecosystem, uh, the the book industry, essentially, uh, and to keep other stores and... um, yeah, organizations and companies alive. So I'm going to bring you another episode on Go Wide, Grow Wide. Okay, but first to last week's question, which was, across your career, what genres would you like to write in? April Jones said, well, I started off in horror. I mostly write fantasy now, but I'm looking at sci-fi and steampunk. And even though my romance is terrible, some dark part of me wants to write an erotica for some reason. I legit don't know why I want to do this. I don't read them. I'm not interested in them. And I find them so cringeworthy. But for some unknown reason, I want to write one. Jackson Hollingsworth said, loved the the episode. Uh, To answer the question, across my career, I'd like to write historical fiction, historical fantasy, and light sci-fi under Jackson Adler, and to write musicals under Jackson Hollingsworth. Um, Helen uh, Reeb, Pedersen, I hope I said that right. I know you have told me once before, and uh, of course I have forgotten because I haven't said it for a long time, said, great episode. Well, I write in fantasy, but I used to be a complete history nerd and actually wanted to be an archeologist for a long time. So historical fiction is a must. I also have a sci-fi idea, but don't really read it. So we'll need to do some research. Ian Worrell said, thriller, horror, fantasy, and urban fantasy. Button Heather on Instagram said, I am writing for YA fantasy right now, but I have some adult thrillers that I also want to write, all under a pen name. SW Miller said, this is up there as one of my favourite podcast episodes of all time. Number one, a chinwag between friends is always fun to listen to. Number two, you cut through all the bullshit about writing fast in the indie space. And three, your ability to get shit done is inspiring. As for question of the week, carry on with urban fantasy, move into thrillers and humorous fiction slash satire. HB Line said, I'd like to inch into horror as I'm quite seriously considering doing spicy paranormal romance with a pen name. Uh, Kim underscore Rosario said, I started with fantasy romance, then drifted into urban fantasy, but I try to weave in elements from my first manuscripts in the hopes of uh, uh, of a tie-in one day and spin-offs. Um, and then Wordarella said, sweet and cosy Victorian fantasy um, and uh, quite a few other things and quite a few other comments, but I'm going to leave it there for this week. So thank you so much for everybody that uh, comments on the question of the week. I know I can't always get to respond um, physically on Instagram or, or on Facebook, but of course I always get to read them because they get put in the show notes. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Also, it means that I know that you're listening. So thank you guys. 
This week's question is, what kind of research do you do for your books? I would love to know because I think no matter the genre, there is research that's needed. I have been surprised <laughs> by some of the things that I have needed to stop and go, oh wait, I don't have a fucking clue how this works uh, in the current book that I'm writing. So um, yeah, I would love to know. The book recommendation this week is not a book at all. It is a course recommendation. So both of my courses, The Anatomy of Prose, The Senses, which helps you to learn how to write sensory, more sensory rich writing, uh, and my uh, Villains Masterclass, where we looked at the villain's journey, we looked at char unlikable characters, and a whole shit ton of other stuff are both on sale for the summer. You can get a whopping 30% discount by using the code REBELSUMMER, and that is only valid until the end of July and I'm going to put a link and the code in the show notes. Okay, so in personal news and updates, like, oh my god, I can't remember the exact day that I recorded. It must have been Thursday. It's always Thursday. So it was probably, yeah, I don't know. Listen, I am today completely fucked. I'm like a shell of a human. I am exhausted, for one. I am bodily, physically exhausted as well. I have joined a boot camp, which my lovely neighbor was doing, and um, she lost a fuck ton of weight. And I was like, oh, I want in. I, I need to stop the writer spread and like move my backside, basically. And of course, <laughs> being number one competition, everybody drink. Um, I only have one workout mode, which is, of course, beast mode. <laughs> Like, I'm incapable of just sort of going light in a workout. I, I, I don't have that ability. I don't understand how you do it. All I know is, like, fucking juggernaut charge. And so, of course, I have been absolutely roasting myself um, at these boot camps. And they're pretty fucking brutal anyway, because the instructor is, like, this ex-RAF, um, like, uh, Air Force uh, instru uh, PT instructor. So, and then the other instructor is a CrossFit instructor. And CrossFit is fucking bananas so um these workouts are pretty brutal and like by way of example at the end of yesterday's workout i had to go outside to retch my guts up like that's the level of workout that i do and i'm sure you're all going to be really shocked and terrified but actually i really enjoy pushing myself to that that point and i tell you the fucking endorphins i had yesterday afternoon wow it was amazing <laughs> i've been like living off of endorphins <laughs> for a week it's fantastic i'm so happy and i'm out of the house during the day which is lovely um and i'm meeting people and oh my god i'm just so filled with joy from these intense workouts however i've also been doing mentally taxing work because i have been like holy fuck i have absolutely smashed uh my words so i started writing the scent of death on the 17th of june it is now the 7th of June, so just over two and a half weeks ago, and I'm at 60k. Like, I have never in my life written a book this fast. Um, I still don't know how it's happened. <laughs> I am due to speak to my coach next week, and so, in fact, just before this airs, I will have spoken to my coach, or the day it airs, I can't remember. Um... And so I'm going to ask all of the questions about how the fuck I have done it because I only have four chapters left. And so this book will be finished either tomorrow or Saturday because um, in order to get it done, I, I'm my mum's looking after um, the kiddo on Saturday. So um, yeah, I am going to finish it before my micro coaching on Sunday, which means I wrote a book in three weeks. 
<laughs> when I say that, it sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth. I've never been able to do that. I've never done it before. I didn't even know I was capable of doing that. Um, but it's been a real eye-opener and a real um, realisation that I think I've been holding myself back. Um, and I don't know if I can replicate this. That's something that I want to talk to her about. Um, I don't necessarily want to become a book a month person. That is definitely not something that I want to do. Um, also, this book is not ready <laughs> to be released. It's not like I can just, I've just vomited out, you know, the draft and it's good to go. It is far from good to go. Um, but it is a draft, right? And you can't edit a blank page, which means I am I am going to be able to work on editing it and, and take a bit more time to perfect it and get it where I want it to be. Um, but still, it's a fucking revelation. It is, I, I'm a little dumbfounded. And because it's unexpected, it's created a gap like in my in my brain because I wasn't expecting to um, <laughs> be able to go on to something else before I went to South Africa. So that's fantastic um, because it means that I can get more done. Great. <laughs> Instead of relaxing, good one, Sasha. <laughs> Just do more so that you can, oh wait, do more. <laughs> oh my God, what is wrong with me? Saying, fuck that <laughs> I'm joking I'm joking I'm actually going to take well I'm not going to take next week off that is a complete lie I don't know why I even went to say that I'm not taking next week off but like I'm doing launch stuff because the anatomy <laughs> on top of writing a bazillion words I've also been editing the anatomy of a bestseller in the evenings however yesterday I had a focus um headache uh, uh um because I had um focused really hard and I wrote like over 8,000 words yesterday so uh yeah by the evening I was just complete mush and I'll be honest I am a complete zombie and a shell of a human today um the interesting thing is for me that these words have not taken hours and hours and hours and hours um I am writing about 4,000 words in about two and a half hours um and yesterday I just did that twice so five hours that was you know a working day um but it's still obviously requiring the same level of brain concentration and stuff. Look, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't even sure if I was going to talk about this because it's also new and like shocking to me. Um, but yeah, I also don't want to lie. <laughs> I like transparency and I like telling you my things. So I'm telling you this thing that is gobsmacking to me. And uh, yeah, when I have spoken to my coach, I will tell you more things. <laughs> And I know whether or not this is a one-off or I can actually replicate this. Um, okay, so what does that mean? That means um, that, yes, The Anatomy of a Bestseller, that's where I was going. Right, this book, by next week, by the time you hear uh, the following episode, it is very likely going to either be on pre-order or live. <laughs> because this episode will air on Wednesday the 13th and by the time you hear the next episode which will be Wednesday the 20th of July uh, 2022 the book will if it's not on pre-order it will probably be live because I'm just going to do uh, like a quick turnaround so yeah I am super excited you're going to hear a shit ton more stuff there'll definitely be more information coming in episodes uh, about the anatomy of a bestseller um I, this is not a launch, like a launch I've done either before. Normally I have a long time before and a big pre-up, pre-order, pre <laughs> words are hard today, a big pre-order run up to it, but I just am not going to do that. I'm just going to get it out to you because it's more important to me that this just gets out there than I do a big gigantic um, pre-order. So yeah. Okay. The Rebel of the Week this week is Carla Hyler. 
Uh, Carla says, when I was growing up, there were boy clothes and girl clothes. My mother and I were constantly butting heads over what I could wear as I wanted jeans and she kept buying me girl clothes. Mostly, I really wanted a pair of red high top Converse all-star Chuck Taylors after reading Harriet the Spy. My mother refused. They were boy shoes. She would then buy me the navy blue PF uh, flyers. I would cry myself to sleep over having to wear icky sneakers instead of the cool ones I wanted. When I grew up and moved out of the house to be an adult, I was walking through Harvard Square with a friend and we looked at a display in a store window of all the different coloured pairs of Converse All-Stars and I told him the story. He looked at me and said, well, you're making your own money now. Why don't you just buy a pair? Light bulb! I walked into the store and out wearing my all red high star uh, all-star high tops. When I wore them uh, to, uh, to Sunday dinner at my mum's at the weekend, she was horrified and asked if my boyfriend was embarrassed to be seen with me in those things. Oh my God. <laughs> Even, it's a pair of fucking trainers. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm so glad you brought these. Okay, let me, let me stop narrating and give you the rest of the stories. Uh, he said, I think they're kind of cool and suit her. I brought all sorts of colours over the years and she liked when I wore girl colours of pastels, purples, pinks, etc. because she just never really got past that whole gender thing. Years later, I have several custom pairs, including cupcakes, the patriotic pair uh, that are exclusively for holidays and voting days, the black pair with embroidered cherry bo uh, blossoms, unicorns, dinosaurs, Hello Kitty, and so many more. I still have the original pair. They are battered and pretty much unwearable, but I won't part with them unless I have to. Um, there is a second part of this story, um, uh, and Carla says, I should mention, she got off my case about the jeans when designer jeans uh, became a thing. She handed me some money and let me go down to town with my older sister to buy a pair, expecting I would go to Jordan Marsh's, or uh, I don't know how to pronounce that other designer, uh, both of which were purchased years later by Macy's and no longer exist. Instead, I found the Fiorucci store and brought a pair from uh, what my sister called the gay store. <laughs> Best part was um, I waited. I was waited on by a trans woman who made sure they fit like a glove and found me some fabulous t-shirts to go uh, with my uh, to match my budget. All things that had my mother's head expl <laughs> exploding when she found out from my older sister. Years later, when my son was about the same age, I was in those stories. Um, I, my folks moved back from Florida to live in an apartment on my older, in my older sister's house. The very same one who, who was all, it was a gay store. My son was helping them unpack and settle into the space um, and had on a flogging Molly t-shirt. Now, I was a punk back in the day, so no surprise, he is too in his day. He did wear just his black jeans instead of his normal kilt, <laughs> wide leg mosh pants with chains because Nana. She looked at him and asked, what's a flogging molly? He answered immediately, it's where your Irish music meets my Irish music in a happy drunken place. <laughs> Apples and trees and all that. Oh, I love it. I love these parental rebellions. I say that when my son starts rebelling, I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy it so much. <laughs> but great story. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, then please do in your, in your email. I told you words are hard for me today. I'm really struggling. <laughs> If you'd like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. Now listen, I say it every week because I really, really mean it. Please send in your stories. They're amazing. They make my day. We're always running low. 
You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a huge thank you to new patrons, uh, Meg Cowley and Stella Bixby. I really, really appreciate the support. The community is growing in such a fantastic way. I love you all. We have so many events and things going on that I just... I just, I love being part of this community with you. So thank you so much for the support. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as a metric fuck ton of bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Righty, that is enough from me. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I'm super excited today because I am joined by Monica Leonel. Monica is a USA Today bestselling author, MBA and former software engineer turned executive marketing professional turned independent author. She shares a unique analyst perspective on trends in the publishing industry through her newsletter books and the Go Wide, Grow Wide incubator. Publishing since 2009, Monica has 13 plus years of independent author experience and 50 plus books. Her series for authors include The Productive Novelist um, and Book Sales Supercharged, co-authored with Russell Nolte. Hello and welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to have you here because we were just saying before we, we went on air that um, we've known each other sort of from afar for a really long mm-hmm. time, but never actually sort of interacted or um, stumbled across each other in more person. Well, you know, as, as in person as we can get across the pond from each other. But yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. Before we dive into the content, we tell everyone a little bit more about your journey. Like, how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Yeah, I was publishing uh, in 2009 and it was like print on demand publishing. So I know, I, th- I think you've um, been publishing for a while too, but it was like not even an ebook yet. Um, and I published this book that was nonfiction. It was for uh, basically teaching corporations how to do social media. Um, so that helped me transition from software engineer to marketing professional, um, just because I kind of established a audience in, you know, a new topic. Um, so that I, I didn't set out to um, publish a book myself and get it, you know, I wasn't excited about the publishing process, but after I did it once, I was like totally hooked onto it. So then I um, had like kind of a childhood dream of doing fiction. And so then I did that in 2011. And then I was just like hooked after that and just went like deep dive into the publishing space. Um, And eventually around 2014, 14 or 2015, I was able to go full time because I had written like a steamy billionaire romance series, basically, um, just to kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I, I wanted to write young adult, but um, that was what was selling. So I, you know, I did the whole right to market thing and it did well enough to where I could uh, just kind of quit like a lot of the other stuff I was doing. So um, that was kind of uh, the, the big change for me. And then I started, um, doing the, doing the productive novelist series, which at the time was called growth hacking for, for storytellers. And it started with this book called write better faster. Um, and then it kind of spiraled into more series. And then now I have like, like, like over 30 books, um, for authors now. Um, so most people know me 
from that. But I got to say my, uh, my passion is still with fiction and all sorts of other stuff too. So have you written the young adult stuff now? Yeah. So the young adult stuff, I've kind of like rewritten it several times because it's, you know, it's just like my baby or I don't know. I'm just attached to it. Um, It's actually on at the time of this recording, it's actually launched on Kickstarter. So it won't be um, like, like there are a couple books on retailers, but the big rollout won't be probably till like late 2022 because I got to keep it exclusive on Kickstarter, but um, the Kickstarter campaign is doing pretty well um, for, you know, where that pen name is at. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, I might have to pick your brains about that afterwards because <laughs> I'm sure, a young yeah. adult author. So yeah. Oh, and I'm now yeah, going into an cool. even smaller niche, which I just is, even mm-hmm. though I'm going to be writing to reader, like right. the niche is so small, it is yes. going to be a struggle, but yeah. I still believe those books need to be in the world. So I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Okay. Let's talk about wide marketing. I'm wide. I did one stint of three months in KU and I was so anxiety ridden about being shut down. (laughs) I have not gone back in since, even though I know a lot of the authors is particularly young adult ones make a fuckload of money in KU. Yeah. So why wide? Why should authors focus on wide marketing? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a good question. And I also would say, like, I don't really um, necessarily think that people should do wide. Uh, You know, I I think it's a personal decision. I am also wide for like the same reason you just stated, which is that I have massive anxiety being in KU. Um, It was just way too... um, way too stressful for me. And I'm also like, obviously I'm more interested in some of the wide elements um, anyway. So uh, wide just makes sense for me. I know I'm personally not going back in KU. That said, if you um, are looking for like short-term financial um, gains, you know, people who are successful wide, when they go back into KU, they find more short-term financial success. Um, That may not be a reason to stay in KU. That obviously has long-term challenges um, as well. So, you know, it's, I think it's a very personal decision and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm like really pro um, either way. I think that wide is amazing for most people. I think most people can succeed at wide if they really want to, but if KU is what you want, like I support that too. Like, I just think people should do what they want. Do you think there are any genres that lean particularly one way or another? So like, can anybody, like, I know you sort of said that anybody can succeed at wide if they really want to, but like, can they, are there genres (laughs) that lean better wide? Like, are there genres, um, you know, that, really if authors are making a business decision um they should lean into KU like yeah t- talk to me about that I say that only because like I have some traction wide but not enough so I this is why I was curious to talk to you because I'm like yeah. teach me your ways like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well so yeah that's a good question and I think so I personally, um, I, I would love to talk to people if they think that their genre is, um, they, they can only succeed in KU uh, with their genre. Because typically what I find when people say that is they say like, my genre is like KU dominated um, or whatever it is. And, you know, when we dig into that, what they're often saying is that the bestseller list in my category has mostly KU books on it. And so um, 
for me, it's like, well, you know, bestseller lists are determined by sales rank on Amazon and sales rank is determined by sales plus borrows over time. Um, like these formulas are, you know, pretty straightforward, I think, for anybody who has studied these algorithms. Um, so, you know, I would say that sales rank is, um, it's like very purposely and mathematically geared toward K to, to, to heavily favor KU books. And so that's why everybody's category is dominated with KU books. So um, I haven't really seen any evidence that, you know, there is a KU dominated uh, genre. Um, maybe like, like some people say, so, so here's one thing I will say is that a lot of the wide retailers, they use the, um, it's BISAC, um, B-I-S-A-C uh, classifications um, and categories. And so, you know, if there's, if they really don't um, have your category, so like the only one I can think of right now is like lit RPG. Like there is no, like even Amazon doesn't have good categorization for lit RPG, even though it's a very, very, you know, like quite a prominent genre. Um, so that's like an example where I'd be like, you know, there are definitely lit RPG readers on other platforms. However, um, are you able to find them easily? Uh, you, you don't have any categorization tools for that. So that could be challenging. Nobody has ever talked to me about KU in that way like my blood my mind is <laughs> shattering a little bit that, oh. <laughs> um, yeah like it just in not I mean I knew I knew but right. I didn't know until you said it and I yeah. was like oh yeah fuck like oh <laughs> oh that makes so much sense um that said it definitely is slower to grow wide so let's talk a little bit about how on earth you start to find those readers wide let's say let, let's talk about it from two different perspectives let's say you're a new author and then let's say you're an author who has maybe a series done or maybe a series and a bit done so let's take it from those two different perspectives talk about the new sure. authors first where do they start how do you even begin to grow a readership yeah. So if you're a new author, I mean, the biggest challenge with wide retailers is that Amazon is very good at owning um, like the, the follow up parts of your sales funnel. So like on Amazon, um, algorithmically, what happens is if you get like lots of people to even just view your product listing, Amazon's like, oh, good. Like lots of people are doing this. So let me send them a push notification. Are you still thinking about this book? Let me send them an email, email reminder. Um, hey, uh, you know, you were browsing this book. Like, why don't you go check it out again? And so Amazon does all this follow up for you. Um, they do it for sales too. So if somebody buys the first book in your series that they're, or even downloads it or whatever, then they say, great. Like, do you, you know, this author had a new release, this author um, put out the next book in the series and they will remind you so, you know, quite a bit actually. Um, so why retailers don't do that as much? Uh, and I think that's a, you know, if you're, if you only have like one book, then, um, Amazon often doesn't really help you that much uh, because they're, you know, they're focused on series. And so the same is kind of true at wide retailers. They are also focused on series, but also it's, there's like this more level playing field in some ways. Cause it's like at both Amazon and at retailers, you have to drive almost all your sales and traffic um, when you're starting out. So 
Um, if you are a more established author, you know, I think that uh, it's, it's a lot of the same challenges, except for more established authors, they don't realize how much of the um, of their success on Amazon is due to like these algorithmic um, follow-ups, which is, it's basically like this whole um, backend network of personalized recommendations that we don't really see. So everybody looks at the carrot in the front, which is like sales rank um, and bestseller lists and stuff like that. But there's like so much of the visibility is happening behind the scenes where we can't even really see it. Um, so it's kind of the same challenge. So for for new authors, I mean, I think like even I think it's really just having the basics, you know, uh, optimizing your book at each retailer. One of the challenges is that most of what is taught is just optimization at Amazon and the other retailers. They favor different things. They all they all have their own algorithms. They all deal with perma-free differently, 99 cents differently, pre-orders differently. And so it helps to learn like if, if you're committed to wide, it helps to learn um, each of at least the big five retailers, um, which is Amazon, Google Playbooks, Kobo, Barnes and Noble and Apple Books. It helps to learn what those retailers um, actually favor even in like how they distribute visibility. Um, so that would be my thing is just like at least optimize your books. Um, like anything, you know, probably write the next book if you've got one or two, um, you know, maybe you can try ads, but I think while wide, probably your better bet is to do um, email promotions and in-house merchandising. Um, so then when you have a series, uh, the best, I mean, the number one thing you can do if you have a series and like there's good read through on it and all that stuff is to drop the first book to perma-free and just promote the shit out of it. Like that is the best thing you can do because every retailer has some sort of series follow-up, um, including Amazon. Amazon's moving more toward that. It used to be also bots. Now they're moving more toward um, second book in the series. But like everyone, like Apple Books has it, Google Play has it. Um, Google Play Books just released something called series subscription. So that means people can one-click um, on your page and that it's not rolled out to every book, but it's rolled out to some books, at least so far, they can one click on your page and they will get, um, they will like basically automatically pre-order. It seems like, um, the, any books that you add to that series in the future. Um, so that's huge. Uh, and they're, they're really, so, and, and like Google play, um, is one of the retailers that has said that they're committed to creating more features and more algorithmic juice for, um, series in particular, uh, Apple books is the same way. They have a thing called the end of book, um, experience. And so what it is, is when somebody finishes book one, it triggers all sorts of stuff in their algorithms to get people into book two. Um, and, uh, and a lot of the retailers are moving toward that. So, uh, you know, I think that it's really moving toward creating those series, um, creating longer series and trying to rack up those, um, Rack up those reads on those series uh, and, and, you know, having that perma-free, uh, other retailers, they don't treat that differently. So it doesn't matter that your first book was downloaded instead of sold, like they will still do that series follow-up for you. So getting that perma-free to as many people as possible is probably your best bet. Yeah, I love that. And I just did a round of like, so I finished my first um, young adult series and, uh, 
dropped the first book to free and did like a you know the all the big known like book bub mm-hmm. and book, but yeah free booksy or whatever they are and mm-hmm. all of those and yeah definitely I definitely saw like you know the the sale through but also like a lower level trickling over time which is you know because people download the books when they're free and then they download like 30 books and then it takes right. them like ages to to read through but yeah, yeah okay um so uh one of my patrons says my question on wide management is um, on wide is the management of distribution that serves the author best. So, for example, platforms like D2D, so draft digital are wonderful, but it seems management with direct uploads to retailers is the better sales benefit option, um, except, uh, like for marketing purposes as well. So, like, what is the best way or the best method or the best trick? Like, where do you go wide? Because you could go wide forever and ever and ever and ever and have 75,000 different um, <laughs> platforms. So yeah, what what is the most um, effective and efficient way to be wide? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I always think like it's not either or, it's more of like the cascading effect of how you go. So for myself, I am um, direct with uh, the big five retailers. So that's Amazon, Google Play, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and um, Apple Books. And okay. so at yeah. So four of those retailers. Um, so each retailer besides, so first of all, you have to be direct at Google play, like draft digital doesn't have a connection with them and any distributor that does, um, you still have to be direct. You still have to have an account there. And so there's actually not really any benefit, um, unless you just don't want to upload to like a different plat, you know, but, the, but that distributor is going to take like whatever the portion is, 10% or whatever. Um, so you have to be direct with Google Play Books. Um, and then all the other retailers, they have um, what's called like in-house promotions or merchandising that you um, usually need to be direct to get. So Kobo has this, you have to email them. I think it's Kobo at writinglife.com. It's like, it's like the main email that's plastered like all over their writing life website. Um, you have to email them, ask for the promotions tab. I would also just ask for the audiobooks tab while you're there, because a lot of people don't know that you can direct upload audiobooks to them as well. So just ask for it all in one go. Barnes and Noble is the same. You have to email their support. They're quite a bit slower in getting back to you, but they also have a promotions tab. And that's how you can get into like their, um, their featured Friday email, which is, um, can be very lucrative if you're chosen for that. And like many of their other promotions. And so you should do that. Um, Apple books, some people so Apple Books is, um, they don't care how you get to them. And so some people do go through draft to digital for them more than other retailers. And the value would be that you are able to get into, um, like their in-house merchandising is a lot harder to get into, basically. You have to, you know, be somewhat successful on their platform already. And so with draft to digital you can develop relationships with D2D, um, reps who then like kind of know your books and it's, and it's easier because they're at a lot of conferences and stuff. Um, and then they, uh, they sometimes coordinate with Apple books to submit those, to submit books to promotions. And so a lot of authors find it easier to get into those. Um, so that could be a thing. I, I am still direct with Apple books because I just feel like, um, for me, I, I just prefer to be direct. 
Um, so then after that, uh, it really is, you know, going to these other places that you can't go direct. Um, so at draft to digital, there's, you know, a handful of other stores. There's lots of library stuff that I think is really valuable. I make probably a lot of my money through draft to digital is probably through libraries more than anything, um, buying and borrowing books. Uh, and then from there, you know, I would look at the distributors and I would say, well, um, draft to digital is my primary, but maybe, you know, Smashwords or Publish Drive or whoever else is my secondary. And then I kind of go down based on how much energy and time I had basically and how much I wanted to pay for it. If there's um, like Publish Drive has a different um, pricing scheme where uh, the other ones, they all just take a percentage. And so it's, it's really kind of like um, trying to figure out what works best for your business. If you don't want to upload everywhere, you know, draft to digital is kind of the golden, you know, the gold standard of this industry right now. They have a lot of um, good, good press with the indie authors. So I, you know, I, I would recommend them and Smashwords is now a part of them. So um, there's more, more stores to come really. How do you deal with managing all of the royalties like do you have your own <laughs> dashboard do you because I have more or less resorted <laughs> to checking the ones that earn the most and just not like right. and, and just forgetting the rest like anything else that comes in as mm-hmm. a bonus but like that's not necessarily the best method if you actually want to like increase your income you know you have to track it and right. be better with it so yeah how do you deal with that and manage that well I have a scribe count um, okay that can be you know, they're, they're good. Uh, I, I do sometimes have little like issues with them with syncing and stuff, but I know that they're working on improving it. The only other one that I know of where I met the, the, um, founders at a conference is published wide. So they may be another one to check out. I know that, um, the two companies, one of them started with reporting first, um, like reporting sales first, and then has moved into um, ad, you know, ad tracking and ad management as well. And Publish Drive did the reverse, which was they started with the ad tracking and ad management, and now they're starting to add more retailers. And so um, the two companies are, you know, they're on the same path. They just did the reverse. So I think that's why people don't know about Publish Wide um, as much. But yeah, it, it's it's always a, a challenge um, to get things to sync, to get it to like update correctly. Um, I also have direct sales um, added to the mix, and then if you Amazing. do like, yeah, like you you as well with Patreon uh, for you for me Kickstarter. You know, it's like you have you start to have all these other things, and it's like yeah, I'm I'm using a spreadsheet basically. Yeah. Here. Like, <laughs> like I'm getting some help from these <laughs> from these. Uh, um trackers but yeah I'm still having to do stuff by hand um okay yeah and me too <laughs> and it's just like yeah one I think one day eventually I might start outsourcing it just because hard but anyway <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so BookBub and Kobo's kind of internal promos aside, what are some really core tactical things that people can do to find like a wide audience? You sort of mentioned Facebook advertising a little bit, but like, is there anything else other than um, like those things that we can do? Yeah, so I don't really, um, I don't 
necessarily think authors should start with Facebook advertising. I think that's like kind of actually a bad idea. Um, definitely doing the product optimization at each retailer because what that'll get you. So like every algorithm requires sales. So I do want to preface it with that. Like you could have the best product optimization at every retailer on the planet. Um, and if you can't get like at least a, some sales, then it's not going to help you. But what it does do is it gives you um, search traffic and uh, category traffic. And so that can be helpful to you. So do you want to just explain what you mean oh, by product optimization, yeah. just for anyone who might be new that's listening? Yeah. So um, just like you have a product page on Amazon um, and a lot of what is, you know, what you probably learn through indie author marketing is like how to optimize the product page at Amazon, which is great. Like, um, and so the, the thing is though, that at, um, it's one platform. So when you go wide, you got to learn like all the platforms and each one does different things. So um, on Google Play, for example, you will get more bang for your buck if you have, um, you know, your keywords in like the, t the series title, um, the book title, the book subtitle. Uh, and then if you also have them throughout your description. So like Google Play and Apple Books, for example, they actually index your descriptions as well, which is, which Amazon like kind of does, but, um, you know, you're not really supposed to keyword stuff those, uh, where on Apple books and Google play, it's, it's certainly, I would, I would not go to the keyword stuffing level, but it's certainly valuable and important to put keywords into those descriptions because you will show up in more searches um, by doing that. And a keyword would be like, say, enemies to lovers or soulmates or... Exactly. Yeah, so tropes, yeah, tropes can be keywords. Um, but yeah, even like author names. Uh, so Google Play allows that, as does Apple Books. Um, another thing is like, let's say you have an older series like myself um, and you did not put your keywords in your title and subtitle and everything like you should have. And now you can't change it because um, it's just there. So what you can do, there's also ways on Apple books and Google play specifically to overcome the mistake you made in the, the book title. Um, so what I found for my, um, for one of my books, I, I just used like, the wrong keyword. So like there's a keyword that's like, you know, gets like a hundred searches. And then there's a keyword that gets like five searches. And I use the one that has like the five searches and those numbers are just made up, but, um, you know, ba basic concept. Um, so what I did is I, I was able to still get it to rank. Like it had the hundreds, hundreds, uh, search keyword in it by putting that hundred search keyword into the description, like four or five times organically. Um, so it, it did take a, a, a number of times, but um, then it started to appear higher anyway. And, and like next to that book, it, it was all books that have like that, the hundred, um, the hundred search keyword in like their title as like the prominent thing. Um, so there, there's a lot of that, um, especially on Google Play and Apple Books, where it's just very important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I only heard about Google, 
because you, you're actually not really, I know that John Doppler has mentioned this a couple of times, but you're not okay. really supposed to put um, like, if you liked this author, you'll like this author on right. Amazon, are you? Like they, they no. sort of don't really like that. There's actually a risk. Like that. Yes. <laughs> I know, which is <laughs> they, crazy. They can ask you to remove it even because really? it's against, well, it's against their terms of service. So if they decide to crack down on it, then yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and some people get like little notices of like, you can't use this. You also, you can't use it in your keywords. Like if you try to put like Harry Potter in your keyword or whatever. Um, it does. Yeah. You can't do stuff like that, but. It really does speak to like just how many like nuances there are and how right. you really should look at each platform in an individual way. Yes. Um, what are some of the other differences between the stores yeah so one big difference is that some stores um so so the way that the stores handle things like perma-free 99 cents and pre-orders is all different and the reason why is because those are um so like every store has an algorithm every store has some sort of sales rank for books um so that it shows you know it kind of um informs like how they show books to their readership. Um, But these three different things are tools that uh, uh, wide authors use frequently, and they all have some sort of mathematical strangeness to them. So like perma-free, for example, um, the price is zero. So, you know, if the algorithms use price anywhere in their calculations, well, now what do you do when a price is zero? Um, And how do you balance the free with um, paid books, which is, you know, kind of more of what that retailer probably wants to show. Cause they, they do want to make money off of this. If, yeah. <laughs> um, and so pre-orders is kind of the same thing. It's where, um, time is negative. So like you, you don't, you don't have a sales history yet. Cause you don't, you literally don't have any sales. Um, so, you, so a lot of the retailers have a different thing between orders and sales. Um, so, the way Amazon handles it is kind of the way that authors think everybody handles it. So they separate out, separate out free. Um, they separate out pre-orders to like new, a new releases list. Um, they suppress pre-orders until about 30 days before the pre-order is available. So they suppress that in like um, the personalized recommendations and like search and all sorts of stuff. So you, you search for a book, you will like almost never find a pre-order unless it, unless you search for that title um, pretty specifically, it's just not showing the pre-orders because they are like very purposely. Yeah. They're purposely kind of suppressed. Um, So it's going to come up with the books that have the best sales history, basically. Um, So it's it's not like they're purposely. um, I I mean, they are kind of purposely, um, you know, pushing those down, but like what it really is, is that they're trying to bring up the stuff that has the best sales history. Um, they're going to show that first. Yeah. Because really they want it, it to convert immediately, right? They want it to convert immediately, not yeah. in the future. Um, so, so it makes a ton of sense from a retailer yeah. perspective. So other uh, retailers don't do that. Other retailers are, um, so I'm thinking specifically of really Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and Apple Books, um, they actually count pre-orders both at the time of order and at the time of sale, um, which is a different thing. So you can, you know, you can get, um, and you, well, it used to be that you could have them longer, but now, you know, Amazon's like about, I think it's a year as well. Um, so, but 
it's interesting because it's like, well, pre-orders at retailers, like they really, at wide retailers, they really matter, um, especially long pre-orders because you get this boost at one, you know, as you put that pre-order up and, and as you like have, you know, if you, if you send an email about that pre-order, you'll have probably have a spike in pre-orders and then you'll have like another little period of visibility until it falls off again. Um, where at Amazon, it really, it doesn't really do the same thing. Um, so that's different. Uh, the perma-free stuff, Amazon, like, greatly suppresses permafreeze on their website. Uh, whereas other um, retailers, you know, they're almost like circa 2012, how Amazon was. So Amazon used to count pre-orders at about um, 10 downloads equals one sales until pre-orders, or, sorry, not pre-orders, permafree, until free books just kind of like dominated the charts. Um, and then they separated it out and they like made it like a hundred downloads equals one sale. And so at, at a um, retailer like Apple Books, um, a download counts maybe at like, it only takes like five or 10 downloads to count it as a sale. So permafree, like, like the more permafree books you have in your catalog, the, the better you're going to do with Apple books. Um, at Barnes Noble, it counts it at one download equals one sale. Um, so permafree does even better at Barnes and Noble because of that. And so they're just these little extremes that I think are really important for people to understand um, that it, it will probably make you do worse on Amazon, but it will make you do like way, way better on some of the other retailers. Yeah, that's so interesting. I definitely think that that has been my experience since I, I put the first book on Permafree. Um, I definitely think that even though like I've gone done the cycle of all the big newsletters, mm-hmm. um, the one that's that has the most downloads per day still is Apple, I think, over all of the others. But that yeah. might make sense because it's young adult as well. And they mm-hmm. I know that they do quite well there as well. Yeah. Um, ah, that's so interesting. Um, okay. So like other than chopping and changing between wide and KU being an issue, are there any other kind of mistakes that authors make when trying to grow their wide sales? Yeah. um, So, and then like, we've kind of already talked about like just treating the retailers differently. Like that to me is kind of like mistake. Number one is like not looking at them individually. But then I think the second big mistake is not um, focusing on email lists. Um, So this is kind of like out in left field based on what we've been talking about, but I'll explain why. So like I was saying earlier, Amazon does a lot of follow-up for you. So you can send traffic to your free book or to your, you know, to your um, KU book or whatever. And Amazon's like, Hey, you want to, you know, you want to check this out again. And like, like, it'll be like popping up push notifications all over the globe um, about that book still. Uh, Whereas so wide retailers, they don't do that as much. And so a lot of what happens is that on the wide retailers, you need to follow up. Um, So if you, you know, let's say you do get a book bub and you have like 10,000 downloads across all retailers, uh, you have to get those people to now like remember your book and read it. Um, And a lot of the way that wide authors do that is they do, they just do email, the email promotions um, cycle. They just do it like frequently, like they'll do one every month um, on a different part of their catalog. And what happens is that readers are like, oh, like, I really like this book. And then they'll click it and they're like, 
hey, I already have it in my library. I should probably read that, you know? Um, so why authors are doing that through essentially like other people's email lists, like lists that other people built. And I think that's very, very important. Um, but, and so you can kind of um, continue to mimic that with like cross swaps with other wide authors and like all sorts of stuff. But I think like the most important thing you can do is just build your own email list um, because you can see how much value you get out of other people's email lists. So like build your own and focus on um, having a lead list. And then of course you'll still have your reader list. Like most, most authors, for some reason, they don't, they don't want to do the lead list because they're like, they're all freebie seekers. And um, my whole thing would be, you know, set up an autoresponder that converts those um, freebie seekers or those perma-free downloaders or whatever they are um, that converts them to readers. Because once you convert them to readers, usually you can convert them to sales and like other stuff. And so that's that's probably the number one thing. Um, I think the reason why email is not as important on Amazon is because it's only one platform. Like if you're in KU, you don't need to like get someone on your email list. Like you can just send them straight to Amazon because then Amazon does all this follow up for you. Um, so you, you almost don't need it to be successful uh, compared to wide where you absolutely have to really take control of um, your marketing yourself and like get, get those people into the perma-free, get the people reading the perma-free and then like really kind of sell them and make the case on you know, buying the next book or buying into the series or whatever it is. Um, and it's a bigger sale than it is for KU uh, authors. So KU authors are like, you're already part of this program. You don't have to pay anything. So essentially the price is free because it's already a sunk cost. Um, so your only cost is just like reading the series, you know, where on wide retailers, it's like, yes, I have like, however many more books, let's say five more books in the series and they're all $5. Well, I'm trying to sell you a $25 thing now, as opposed to like, yeah, you just get to read it for free. And so that's a bigger ask. And any, anytime you have a bigger sale, you need like more marketing, basically just more like touch points and stuff like that to do it. And so I think that's where authors are kind of like, they don't totally get that on the wide side. Do you think there are any other like underutilized tools? Besides email. Um, well, I think, I think just like doing the foundational stuff. So like, um, I guess, I, I guess another underutilized thing is probably like direct sales of some sort. Um, so my, so like you, you do direct sales through Patreon. I'm do, I'm currently well, doing direct it's on my uh, website. So I have, oh, um, I have yeah, a Patreon for the podcast, but yeah. I actually also teach classes through Patreon, mm, which yeah. like the people who are in it are like, why aren't you promoting this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was a thing that grew out of something existing. And now I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, I need to do something with this. Um, but I then have like, um, I use WooCommerce. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if I'm going to stay with WooCommerce forever. Yeah. Um, but right now it works. And it's a thing that I don't really want to touch because it works just at the minute. Um, but I am looking at um, like Shopify and mm -hmm. Payhip and stuff because they sure. have slightly different like functionalities and things. But right. um, yeah, so I do... And I have audio on there as well. So, um, but I'm, 
the only time I really make the most of it is if I do like a signed Mm pre-order paperback. So like I did a big campaign um, before my last launch um, and (laughs) sold so many. I ended up having to bring a team of people in to help like mom and (laughs) coming to help the pack more because I just wasn't anticipating it. (laughs) But most of the time it's like, you know, I don't, it's like the odd sale here and there that right. will come in through the website. So I'm not maximizing it in any way, shape yeah. or form. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think direct sales. And I think it's because um, you can just get much higher revenue per reader. Mm. Um, that's the challenge of the retailers is that you're really still selling like a $5 book. Um, Cause it's, it's like mostly ebooks still, you know, um, and direct sales, you can sell things that you can't sell on retailers. So like we took, you know, I talk about this with Russell all the time about Kickstarters. Like you can sell, um, like a signed copy, you can sell a character, you know, naming a character after somebody, you can sell like a Q and a with you as the author. Um, and those things have high value that, um, we're not really giving our readers enough, uh, like enough, opportunity to like give us money in some ways because it's like you know I could spend $25 and read the whole series um like $25 I mean it's it is good money um every every dollar is good money in a business but you know it's not like like what if they had like a hundred dollars to spend on this or like five hundred dollars to spend on this and they just love the series that much that they want to um so that's where I think direct sales can be really important and a good um counterbalance to retailer sales and also a good way to collect, um, to, to create deeper fans. Cause I think that's something retailers are really bad at is retailers are not great at helping you create, um, true fans who will kind of follow you from platform to platform. Um, they're, they're, they don't give people enough to invest in like enough to, uh, like financially invest in. They, um, are very ebook focused versus, you know, if you sell a ton of print books, I mean, you've literally rented space in someone's house at that point. Like, like your name is literally in like a, you know, one inch by six inch by nine inch, like place in their house. Like they have to buy more bookshelves to like, you know, put your books on it or whatever. And I think that there's actually so much value to that. Like we, we kind of have lost sight of like how, how people become fans of things. And it's all about investment. Um, it's investment of like time, energy, space, money. Like that's how you become a fan of something. Uh, So I love this so much. Before before we were speaking, I was uh, talking to Zoe York and she almost word for word said, people don't um, appreciate fandom. Mm-hmm. And and she was like, you know, because it doesn't always look like what you expect it to look like. So it's not that you necessarily don't appreciate it. It's that you don't realize that that is how fandom grows, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, she was explaining that um, uh, like the way that her fans are with because she has various pen names mm-hmm. with, with one series is very, very different to how they were with her first series. And, you know, she would get that odd email where somebody would email and go, oh, I just loved these characters so much. And that is true fandom for them to take that time after they've read your book to find you on the internet mm-hmm. just to email you um right. you know and 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 we aren't cultivating this but I don't know if it's because we have I I genuinely think we're looking at lightning bolt success and thinking mm-hmm. that is what we should be having or, right. or or what the only success looks like instead of 
like cultivating one small group at a time one reader at a time growing mm-hmm. to a medium-sized group to a bigger group to you know right. and and um yeah like you can give 10 readers exactly what they want mm-hmm. <laughs> and then those 10 readers will tell tell other readers and because suddenly it's 20 readers and you know right. so on and so forth but I'm waxing lyrical I think um, <laughs> <laughs> no I mean I completely agree with you I think that's you know I think that's what being wide is is like really building the readership one at a time um you know, and I, I do think that direct sales is a place where you can fill in that revenue gap. Like, let's say, you know, the thing I hear the most from KU authors is I make 70% of my money in, in page reads. Like, like they, a lot of authors say that. And it's like, yeah, I understand why you can't go wide because um, 70% of your revenue is tied up in this exclusivity stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if you tried direct sales with your print books? Like, what if you tried direct sales with your audiobooks? Like, build the second nest egg, get, you know, you get higher revenue per reader from that. And then maybe it replaces your page reads and now you're able to go wide because a lot of authors are looking for that transition path. Yeah, they are. Do you, have you built most of your direct sales through your mailing list? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think it's so important to get people on the mailing list first. Um, you can do, I mean, you can do other stuff. So like in internet marketing, there's the tripwire, um, which maybe you've heard of, but like, so you could say like, like, let's say you have 13 cozy mysteries. Um, those, those series are always so long. Um, you have 13 cozy mysteries. Well, you know, you could probably put a bundle together an ebook and, um, sell that on your website for, let's just say like $40 and you could probably tightly target, um, cozy mystery readers or like, you know, uh, Charlene Harris or whoever on, um, Facebook and then get some readers from that too. So, Uh, there are circumstances in which you could just do like a direct sale and almost use that money to build your email list, um, which is what internet marketers do. But I do think, you know, if you can just get people into the free part of your email list, like that's another thing is like, if I'm buying a series, I do not want to buy it $5 at a time. Like, it's, it's just like, I will forget, you know, versus if somebody's like, Hey, you can get all six books for $25. Like I might do that instead. I only have to get my credit card out once. And like, I only have to remember to click on it once. And then I can just kind of go, I can kind of like binge them too. So I think there's um, other psychological triggers that trigger different buyers. And like, we don't really experiment with all of those. Mm. All right. (laughs) I have so much to think about. Um, Okay, well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Oh gosh. <laughs> I don't know if I I don't know if I'm very rebellious. I mean, I I think like some of the things that I say are kind of um counterculture to what the indie author community either wants to hear or is hearing from everybody else. So, you know, probably like in terms of the indie author community, probably the most rebellious thing is that I am saying like these weird things about direct sales and going wide and like all this stuff is really just trying to um, reframe people's um, maybe mindsets because I really, what like what I believe is that um, 
you know, creatives are just happier, healthier, more joyful when they have freedom um, to do stuff. And I do think that exclusivity as a whole, not, I'm not talking about Amazon. Um, Amazon happens to be using exclusivity right now um, to like kind of um, like choke the marketplace really with like their KU stuff. But, um, but, I, but I do think that like exclusivity as a whole, it's, it's really valuable to um, these big tech companies um, because they can use it to like kill other, you know, to like destroy their competition in various markets, which Amazon has done with KU. And so it's like, well, what if we could, you know, like, why, why would we ever want to be beholden to that? Like, I want to have, like, I want to have true freedom. I want to be able to do direct sales and have that mailing list. So it's like, oh, my, you know, my son's like tuition is coming up and I need an extra thousand dollars or an extra $2,000. Like, I don't want to feel like, well, I'm, I'm 100% at this one retailer. So even if I put money, you know, even if I like stepped up my ads or marketing, like I'm going to get paid two or, you know, two to three months from now, like that doesn't help solve my problem. Like I would love to be able to say, oh, you know what? I can send a couple emails to my email list. Like I can put together an offer from my backlist, send a few emails to my email list and I can make that money and take care of my son. Like that's what's, that's what's most valuable to me. And that's what gives me like, just security and like ability to be a creative. And I think that there are so many creatives out there who feel the same way, um, but they don't see like the path to that. And so to me, like things like direct sales or wide or whatever, like that's where our freedom lies. Um, so that's why I do this work and like why I come, you know, come on a podcast and say all these weird things, but that's why I do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Okay, tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, your services, the go wide, grow wide um, stuff. Yeah, talk to talk to me about that and anything else that you would like to add. Sure. Yeah. So um, the main series that I have right now is the book sales supercharge series. Um, it the first um, seven books. So the first book is just about going wide in general, and I talk about you know, big tech and like all the reasons we should all go wide. Um, if, if you, if you want to, like, if you want to stay in KU, go feel free to do that. Um, and then after that, there is a book on each platform. So the big five platforms, Amazon, Apple books, Kobo, Google play, Barnes Noble, there's a book on each of them. So if you're like this algorithm stuff is interesting, but I don't know how to find out like how to do well at Barnes Noble. Well, there's a book on it. There's like a whole book on it um, that you can get from the series. And then the seventh book in the series is how to sell direct from your website. Um, so it just, it just, you know, so, stuff that we talked about, like how do you set up a WooCommerce store or a Shopify store? Um, what are tax implications? What is this? Like, how do you actually drive traffic? Like things like that. So that's in the seventh book. Um, and so you can find out about the books at gowidegrowwide.com. Um, for the month of July and into August, I'm also doing a Kickstarter campaign for those books. It's gowidegrowwide.com slash KS. Um, but if you're listening afterwards, gowidegrowwide.com is the thing to do. Amazing. Thank you so much. And this will go out on time for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as a bunch of bonus goodies, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black.
I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Monica Lionel, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm talking to Zoe York, who is known for the Romance Your Brand and Romance Your Plan uh, nonfiction books, and of course, her non her romance uh, books as well. Uh, but we are talking more about the author side. And I have to say, oh my goodness me, Zoe is just a wonderful human. I completely fell in love with her in that episode and in that interview. And she is just, she she's just so fun. So I can't wait to bring you that episode next week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.